I don't know if you've noticed this, um, but as culture has progressed, you pretty much cannot go anywhere without seeing something about sex, right? You can't turn on the TV and, and watch a commercial without something about sex. You can't go into Walmart and there's always like a magazine, you ever see it, People, Team, whatever it is, and there's always something talking about sex. Sex is everywhere. But the, the, the crazy thing about our culture is we have turned sex into something that sells. We've turned it into something that you have to do to be cool. We've turned it into something that you need. And ultimately, people don't really understand the true meaning of it. Just to give you a few statistics real quick. But 79% of women have actually had sex before marriage. And they say about 93% of women have had sex marriage. Now let me set this up real quick. I'm giving you these facts, but I want to let you know, wherever you are at in the spectrum, I want you to know that you can always start over clean. Okay, so I'm not giving you those things to say, to condemn you, to say, hey, this is what the facts is, so sorry you did that. And um, But I, I do want to let you know that we are going to talk through this, and we are going to work through this, and wherever you're at in a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, and remember you maybe screwed up in the past, there is always excuse me, that there's always redemption for you and that God always has a plan and he's always going to take your pain and you're not going to waste that pain that you experience in a relationship. So I want to let you know that sex is not something that we need to be embarrassed about. Um, but many of us are embarrassed about it because we've come from bad histories. We've come from past. We've come from maybe a father who took advantage of us or an uncle or, uh, or a brother or whatever it was. And so our view of sex is distorted because of the fact that somebody took advantage of us. Or, or maybe we grew up in an environment where, um, you know, dad, let's just be honest, dad was, he, he was adamant at looking at pornography and, and those things. And so you grew up thinking that sex should be a certain way. And so when you get married, you realize, oh shoot, this really isn't what it's about. So my goal um, throughout this sermon is to really point you to what God intended sex to really look like. So we're going to go through, um, uh, we've been through Song of Solomon, we're going to uh, read through chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to Song of Solomon chapter 4? If you don't have one, um, they have an app called Uversion on Android or your iPhone, you can download it, it's a free Bible app. Or if you don't have one, you can follow with us along the screens. But the first point that I want to make, and I'll make four of them, number one is this. God honoring sex starts long before the bedroom. God honoring sex starts way before the bedroom. And we get this from Song of Solomon chapter 4, um, starting in verse 1. And it says this, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Men, do not use that line. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. Now, let me just explain to you real quick because I thought this was a funny verse. Here's what he's saying here. Um, back then, they didn't have toothpaste. Okay, they didn't have scope. They didn't have regular dentist checkups. So you know what he's saying? He says, woman, you are fine because you got all your teeth. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He said, you're not missing a single one. You have... All of your teeth. He says, your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone and it hung a thousand shields, all of them the shields of warriors. 
So I want you to notice something, okay? In the context of this verse, Solomon and his wife have just got off of their honeymoon, and now they are in a bedroom, okay? And this is what's going to happen. Before he does anything to her, before he touches her, before he does anything, he begins to encourage her. He begins to build her up. He begins to lift her up before he goes straight to what he wants. And back in this day, every woman was actually um, clothed in a way that you could not see the figure of their body. Their hairs were always up in buns, and they had hoods over them. They had loose, baggy clothes. You could not see what they looked like. So this is the very first time that Solomon is going to see what his wife looks like with her hair down. Now, as a woman, don't you think that this would be somewhat... Um, like challenging, like you're going into this for the first time and you're hoping that your man just likes what they see, right? And so she's nervous, she's scared, she's not going to be sure of, am I enough for him? Is he going to like what he sees? And so what Solomon begins to do is he begins to encourage her. He talks about her neck, he talks about her teeth. And notice, he's not saying anything sexual yet, okay? He says nothing sexual, he is just building her up, He's into the details. He's talking about her teeth. He's talking about her neck. He's going all the way down the line. He's not in a hurry. Men, get that. He's not in a hurry. Okay? He's not rushing. He's not like, hey, come on, get the clothes off. Let's go. He's not in a hurry. He's into the details. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm, before we do anything, I want you to know that I think you're valuable. I want you to know that I want to build you up. I want you to know that what I'm seeing that I like and I want to encourage you in that. It's been often said, and we've heard this illustration a thousand times, but men are like microwaves, and women are like crockpots, right? Men like to just like, let's go, <laughs> right? Women are like, hold on, time out. I need some time, I need some romance, I need you to build me up, I need all those things, and so that's exactly what Solomon is doing. He's not rushing. Now the problem is, and I've found this in my own life, the problem is um, with men oftentimes we can turn anything sexual, like really quick. Like my wife can be like, hey babe, can you go stir that? I'll, I'll stir you. You know what I mean? Like, or, or she'll say, hey, can you put the kids to bed? And it's something like along the lines, we always have these lines, she's like, hey, can you put them to bed? I'll put you to bed. You know what I'm saying? We always go down those things. We always throw out those lines. And what that is, and I found this the hard way, and what that is, my wife has no interest in that whatsoever. She's like, that's stupid. You're, what does that mean? <laughs> He's not in a rush. He's not in a hurry. He understands, hey, this is the first time I'm going to see my wife. She's scared. She's nervous. She's embarrassed. And he's not rushing to do anything. And here's what we've got to understand. Before there is any physical intimacy, there has to be emotional intimacy. We have to come together. We have to understand that what we're about to do is God-honoring. And that we've got to do it in a God-honoring way. Because when you get married and you have sex inside of marriage, two become one. Here's the reason, if you have sex outside of marriage, why there is so much pain and so much destruction. You ever see women in relationships with a man, and you're like, why is she still with this guy? 
Like, he just verbally abuses her, he physically abuses Why is she still with this guy? It's because she gave a piece to him and she still feels somewhat connected to him. And she doesn't know why she can't leave because she's given herself away. So when you have sex with your spouse or with your husband or with your wife, it is literally two becoming one. And this is a good thing. And that's what we have to remember. The way that God designed sex is not meant to be gross. It's not meant to be something that's embarrassing. Sex inside marriage between a man and a woman is a God-honoring thing. Here's the truth. Most women feel insecure about themselves. Most women feel insecure about themselves. They feel insecure about their body. They feel insecure about a slew of things. And as men, oftentimes, if we're not careful, instead of building our wives up, we want to go straight like, okay, let's get to the bedroom, let's do stuff. And, and what you end up having is you have a wife who's not into it at all because of the fact that we're just rushing to it, we're not taking care of her, we're not taking care of her emotions, we're not stewarding her heart. And this is what we find in Song of Solomon, he's saying, hold on, I, I, I want to do this right, I want to take my time. Number two. God-honoring sex is passionate. Song of Solomon 4, verse 5. Here's where it's going to get awkward. Y'all ready? You ready? Okay. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. Um, so here's what, here's what he's saying, okay? So she is getting down to where things are coming off, okay? And I want you to notice something. He's not touching her. He's not touching her. He's being patient. And for a man, you've got to fight every impulse not to do this, right? He's not touching her. He's just, he's looking. <laughs> he's enjoying. He's looking. He's not doing anything yet. He's being patient. Here's what we've got to learn. Men have got to learn to work on their approach. And, and here's the thing. Here's why guys who look at a lot of pornography end up skewing and messing up their sexual relationship with their wife. Because they see all these things on the screen, and by the time they get to their wife, they're thinking that their wife is going to do those things. Your wife is not going to do those things. Your wife is going to slap you if you touch her in that way, and she should. So the reason that sex can get tainted because of pornography or because of the culture that we live in, if we think it's going to be like a movie or like the things that we're seeing on the screen, that's just not reality. And so we end up skewing it, and men end up going about it the wrong way because they think it's all about physical intimacy, and it's not. It's not about just two people coming together and just being physical with each other. It's so much more than that. We're called to build her up. We're called to encourage her. We're called to take care of her. We're called to steward her heart. Ladies, Sometimes it's on you just to simply make an approach. To simply make an approach. Every man truly wants to be valued and they genuinely want to feel wanted. They may not say it. I'm not, uh, I don't know if you're like me in here, but I'm not a very vocal person about my emotions or about my feelings. And the thing about marriage is if you constantly stuff those things in, then um, ultimately, it makes it a whole lot harder for you to be real with that person. So one of the things that my wife has really helped me with and brought out of me is just being vocal about what's going on here inside of my heart. 
And so I had, I've had to learn within the context of marriage that, hey, I've got to share my feelings with my wife. I've got to tell her how I feel, how I love her. I like the way that she looks, how I treasure her, how I would rather be with nobody else on the face of the earth. And that does so much more for her than any kind of physical touch does. Any kind of smart, eloquent remarks that I'm making about anything sexual. But that does so much more to her to build her up. And let's be honest, life is complicated. I heard a guy, um, uh, this was probably maybe two years ago, and it, it was all over the news, and I thought it was hilarious, because he stood up in front of his church, he's a pastor, and he challenged his church, he said, listen, um, they're working on marriages, and he said, I'm, I want to challenge you to, within the context of your marriage, to have sex, like, seven days a week. Like, for one week. And just see how that changes your marriage. Because and here was the whole concept behind it. If you can do that, you cannot be physically intimate with your spouse mad at each other. Right? That just doesn't work. Like if you're mad, physical intimacy is, is absent. So what the whole idea behind it was, was, hey, work your issues out, and then, and then you can do fun stuff. Right? So here's the whole idea behind that is that life can be complicated, and so sometimes within the context of sex, throughout your week, you've just got to plan it out. Or you need to have a community, or you need to talk about it, you need to talk with your wife, or you need to talk with your husband, and you need to talk it out and say, hey, listen, I know you're busy this week, and I know I'm busy this week, and sometimes just communicating our schedules so each other is not frustrated, because sometimes the guy's going, all right, it's been five days, what's going on? And he's frustrated, and he's not saying anything. And the wife, honestly, she's like, well, great. I mean, this is awesome. He didn't want anything. Good. <laughs> right? Sometimes it just breaks down to simply communicating your thoughts, your feelings, your needs, your desires, and say, hey, babe, this is what's going on this week. I'm going to be out all week with work, and you're going to be gone. And sometimes it's just talking it out in marriage. Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 6, says this. Until the day breathes... And the shadows flee. I will go away to the mountain of mirth in the hill of frankincense. And this is, here's, let me just say this. I love God's word because some of the things, if you interpret the text, you're like, what? Is that really in the Bible or is that like in a teen novel? No, this is in the Bible. What he's saying, what his wife is saying to him is saying, hey, listen, let's go away and be intimate with each other while we're away the entire time. And he's going, okay, I am following you. That's what he's saying. And this is in the Bible. So I want you to know this. This may, this conversation, this sermon, all this summer, I, know, I see some of your faces like, oh my God, what is he going to say next? It feels so weird. I just can't wait to walk out of here. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. So I feel that it's important that we talk through it. Number three. God-honoring sex is built on absolute trust. On absolute trust. You are all, this is Song of Solomon, verse, chapter 4, verse 7. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. Beautiful in every way. So this is the first time that Solomon would have seen his wife naked. This is the first time that he actually saw what his wife looked like. She wasn't in some kind of garment. Her hair wasn't up. Back in that day, women didn't wear tight yoga pants and high, and high. He didn't see anything. He did not know what his wife looked like. 
So he takes the time to build her trust. Let me, let me give you a little hint. And I think that this can be very damaging in um, your sexual relationship with your spouse. Is never say anything negative about your spouse's body. Because you ever say words um, and, and maybe you don't mean them. They come out and as they're coming out you're wanting to take them back, Right? But if you begin to say something about the most intimate parts of your spouse, something that they may be deeply insecure about, and you begin to say things, those words almost never leave. And they play out over and over and over. And it takes a long time to rebuild that trust. God-honoring sex is built on absolute trust. So here's the truth. Can your wife... Or can your husband trust you when you're away? Can your wife or your husband trust you when you are alone by yourself? Like when there's nobody there. I don't, I don't know if you've heard this before, and we've talked about this a few weeks ago, but character is who you are when you're by yourself. Like that's who you really are. When nobody is around, when it's just you in the computer, when it's just you in the TV, or it's just you in a hotel room by yourself, that's who you really are. Can your wife, can your husband trust you? And sometimes it's just setting up boundaries. Sometimes it's just setting up parameters in your life. Here's the thing. Long ago... In my teenage years, I made some mistakes. Not, with, not physically with another woman, but just with my thoughts. And so, yes, God has brought me through that, and we've overcome that situation. But here's the thing. Even as I'm 28 years old, I still want my wife to understand that I'm going to set up every boundary that I possibly can to not fall into a situation that I shouldn't. I was showing this to a guy, I think... Uh, I was texting a guy on our vacation, and he was asking me about something, and uh, I said, man, dude, I have software on my phone that, like, blocks out everything. Is it aggravating? Yes. Like, can I get to half of the websites that I need to get to sometimes for work? No. It's frustrating. But my wife knows that I'm not looking at anything. So I, I put it on every device that I have. Or, or, or when I travel or when I go away, I try to make sure that I'm with somebody else if my wife is not with me. Why? It's not that she doesn't trust me. It's just because I don't trust Satan. <laughs> I don't trust the enemy. If I'm setting myself up in a situation that could possibly cause me harm, I want to make sure that even in those moments and even in those times when I'm away, that my wife can call me and say, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, oh, shoot. But that she can trust me. And it goes vice versa, the opposite way as well. Number four, God-honoring sex is holy. What does holy mean? It simply means to set apart. In uh, Song of Solomon, verses 12 through 14, it says this, chapter 4. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring flock, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits. Henna with nard. Nard with saffron, calamus, and cinnamon. With all trees of frankincense, mirth, and aloes. With all choice spices. 
What is he saying here? He's saying you're a virgin. This is our wedding night and you've saved yourself for me and I'm grateful. When sex is just all about physical intimacy, there's not much there. It's so much more than just being physical. And, and, and I mentioned this in the first half of the sermon, like maybe you fall into that 97% and you're saying, hey look, before I got married, you know, I had sex before marriage, and maybe you're sitting here and just going, okay, great. I mean, now I feel like an absolute failure. Here's, and we said this last week, here's the thing. Repent if you haven't, ask for forgiveness, and move on. Like the past no longer needs to define who you are and who you're becoming. You allow God to heal you in this moment. Right now, you allow God to restore you, and then we move on. Have you ever wondered why every magazine in Walmart says something along the lines you see, and it says something like, how to have better sex, or whatever it says? And because for culture, all sex is about is physical intimacy. And when it gets boring within the relationship, your only hope is to improve your technique. Right? That's your only hope within how culture teaches us. But within scripture, within a relationship with Jesus, sex can truly be the greatest thing in the world to connect you and your spouse. Because it is so much more than physical intimacy. If it's done right... All throughout the day, it should be leading up to this moment. All throughout the day, it should be leading up to this moment. And let me be honest with you, I've failed at this many times. It's, it, it, it's hard as a man sometimes to remember to romance my wife and to, to do those things like we talked about last week. And so I'm not saying that we perfect this all the time and that I'm always just this great husband. I'm not. But because I have a relationship with Jesus, I understand that there is forgiveness, that there's grace, there's redemption, and we can move on, and we don't stay stuck in our past. So, so here's the deal. Maybe you're in a relationship now. Maybe you're dating. Maybe you're not married. And I get this, we get this question all the time. Like, how far can I go without actually sinning? Like, if you're asking that question, you've probably already crossed the line. The question is not, how far can I go? The question should be, God, what is honoring to you? So let me just be really blunt. Like, if you're living together and you're not married, that's not right. If you're dating and you're having sex before marriage, it's not as good as it should be. It's not right. And I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this because it is so damaging within a dating relationship. It is so damaging outside of marriage. You know, one of the greatest things that my wife and I are, are always, and it's not because we're good, it's because God is good. One of the things that we're so thankful for is within the context of our marriages, there's not these wounds from us being physically intimate with other people. Like, she's not wondering, like, okay, is, 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 was somebody else better? Or was, it, that's not a thought in her mind. And that's why sex within marriage, when it's done right in a God-honoring way, can be so good. 
So here's the thing. I say these things not as a condemning way, but I say these things to hopefully help you. To say, hey, listen, we've had people within all of our campuses where it's just been as a pastor lovingly coming to them and saying, hey, listen, we've, I've noticed you're living together. You're not married yet. Would you like to get married and make this right? Yes, I would. And to see the relationships truly prosper and grow from that point on is just incredible. And it's just because they made a few things right. So every time you have sex with somebody else, you are genuinely giving a piece of yourself away. When it's done within the context of marriage, it is literally two people becoming one. That is what we've talked about at the very beginning of this series, that marriage is not a contract, it is a covenant. That for the rest of our lives, we are together. Even though we may not agree on things, even though there may be hard days, even though there may be times, but we are one. We're a team. We love each other. Now, let me tell you what could possibly be going on right now here in this room. There are those of you that are sitting right next to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and maybe you feel a little regret, or maybe you feel guilty. Or there are those of you who willingly gave your virginity away. Or maybe some of you, like I said earlier, maybe it was taken from you. But let me point out a few stories in Scripture where this has actually happened. And I want you to understand the response that Jesus has when you fall short. So there is this woman who is cheating on her husband, basically. Or she's actually a prostitute. And um, these religious people barge into the room, literally catch these two in the act. They, what, what I've always found funny is they don't punish the man in this, but they just drag the woman out, completely unclothed. They throw her in the street. And the last person that this woman probably wants to see is the most holy man on the face of the earth, who is Jesus. And she is thrown before his feet. And all these people are circling around her, and they're saying, hey, listen... She's doing this. This is wrong. The law says we should stone her. We should kill her. And I've always, I love Jesus' response. He says, listen, is anybody without sin in this circle? Because if you are, then you need to throw the first stone. And slowly but surely, people start dropping the stones. And he looks down at the woman and he says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Now go sin no more. So there's two things to take away from this story. He looks at it and he says, what you're doing is wrong. I still love you. Now don't do this again. There's another story of Jesus and the disciples are traveling and Jesus is thirsty. And there's this woman at the well in the middle of the day. So it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and nobody went to the well at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Why? Because at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, it is extremely hot. You don't want to be hauling water when the sun is beating down on your back. So people went very early in the morning or very late at night. Now this woman is thinking, I'm going to go to the well and fetch some water at 12 because nobody's going to be there. So nobody's going to see me. Nobody's going to catch me. Nobody's going to understand what I'm doing because I don't want to get caught. And basically what this woman is doing is she is prostituting herself for rent. 
She's been married five times, and now she can't pay the bills, so she's giving her body away. And lo and behold, this woman is at the well, and she runs into Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, can, can you give me a drink? And this story begins to unfold, and Jesus begins to talk about this water that he has. And he says, if you take my water, you'll never have to draw from this well again. You'll never be thirsty again. And she says, sir, can you give me some of this water? And she's not understanding what he's saying. He's saying, if you surrender your life to me, if you leave your past behind, I'll forgive you, and I'll love you, and I'll accept you just as you are. And later on in the story, he ends up calling her out. He says, listen, I know you've got five husbands. And she's like, oh, you must truly be the son of God. So here's what we've talked about all throughout this series. Is no matter what background you've come from, maybe you're in a marriage and it's going good right now. Maybe you're in a marriage and it's not going so well. Here's what I want you to understand. From the very beginning, God knew that things were going to get messy. From the very beginning, God knew that things were going to go south at some point, and it's the reason that he sent his son. God knows that at some point for all of us, we're going to be drawn towards sinful pleasures. In our own nature, right, aren't we always drawn towards what pleases our physical body first before we want to do what's right? Like, we want to do what the flesh wants us to do first, before anything. It's our nature. It's the whole reason we need a new nature. It's the whole reason that we need God to come and make us new. But the cross is such a good picture of how devoted Jesus is to each and every one of us, despite you, despite your sin, despite your past, despite your failures. So here's the thing. Don't surrender to shame. Don't surrender to guilt this morning. If you're sitting in here and you're looking up through all these points that I've just made and you're saying, God, it's just not me. I wish we would have waited or I wish we would have done this or I wish this wouldn't have happened. Don't surrender to that. Surrender to the loving Father just like that woman who gets dragged out in the street and she's caught in the act and she's ashamed and Jesus lovingly says, just go and sin no more. See, he's a loving Father. The way that he responds to us is always going to surprise us. And you know why? Because some of us had bad fathers in here. And so when we would mess up, their response was always like, I can't believe this. What are you doing? It's never God's response. His response is always gentle and just saying, hey, listen, let me point you in the right direction. Let's not do this anymore. It's going to harm you. It's going to kill you. Go sin no more. It's never too late to repent. It's never too late to start over. So listen, I don't care if you've been married for one year, two years, or if you've been married seven times. Wherever you're at in your relationship, wherever you're at in your marriage, 
God wants to meet you. God wants to meet you. So listen, remember this. Let's review just a little bit. Sex is so much more than physical. Sex is about building one another up. It's about two becoming one. It is God honoring. It is good. It is something that can be enjoyed. It is something that can bring you and your husband or you and your wife closer together if it's done in the right context. If it's done within marriage. If it's done in a God-honoring way. And the last thing, and this isn't just for men anymore, the last thing that I would say to you is if you're struggling in any kind of area, then you do whatever it takes to get out of it. Because I'll just be real with you, okay? Because I can tell you to, to leave this room and you're saying, man, I'm just battling with my thoughts. I'm, I'm tempted every time I get around a computer. I'm tempted every time I do this. Listen, sometimes it's... When you're in those situations, I can't tell you, okay, well, you know what you need to do? You need to go out of here and you need to pray. You need to read your Bible. And those are good things. But sometimes you just, sometimes you need to throw your phone away. Or sometimes you need to, you need to put a blocker on it. Or sometimes you don't need to go by yourself. It's just having wisdom. It's setting parameters and saying, I'm not going to succumb to this. I'm not going to allow the enemy to defeat me in this because I was unwise. Some of it is just wisdom. Listen. Some of the greatest forces on the face of the earth, one of the greatest forces on the face of the earth is the church. And if the enemy wants to take down the church, this is what he's going to do. He's going to take down marriages. Because if he can take down marriages, then he's going to destroy people. They're going to be discouraged. They're going to be hurt. Because listen, there is nobody more than my wife that can build me up to a place where I think I am the greatest person on the face of the earth. We were listening to a sermon uh, on the way back from vacation. I thought it was hilarious, and, and it's, it's very true. Women, you have the power with your words to trick your man into thinking he is brilliant. It's true. Men are gullible. If you constantly say, babe, you are just the greatest at this. Like, if he's not good at something, make something up. And if you just keep saying it, like, sooner or later, he's going to get good at something. And sooner or later, he's like, dude, I'm freaking awesome at this. And he doesn't even know why he thinks he's awesome. But it's because of you. You've been building, babe, you're just so good at this. He's like, yeah, I am. And then, you know, you know what's going to happen? He's going to go to all his friends. He's like, dude, you know, I'm good at this. I'm, I'm good with my hands. I'm good at building. I'm good at work. I'm good at being a dad. I'm good at those things. To give you a little preview of what we're going to be talking about next week, but it's this whole Hebrew word that we have, you've heard it, if you've heard me preach a few times, but it's that Hebrew word, ahava, meaning I'm not going anywhere. And that is truly what marriage should look like. Saying, listen, no matter what happens in the relationship, whether their sexual intimacy in our, our relationship has been dormant for a long time, or no matter if we've hurt one another, or we've said things that we regret, we are in this covenant together, and we're not going anywhere. This is what true marriage should look like. True marriage is saying, listen, there's going to be hurt, there's going to be pain, there's going to be destruction, there's going to be things that we regret but I love you more than anything, first because of who Jesus is, and then second because of the commitment that I made to you. Because there's going to be days that you're going to get out of bed and you're not going to feel like loving the person next to you. 
that we shouldn't be basing our marriages off of our emotions. Our emotions are really dangerous. And if we live by them, oftentimes we will die by them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that we have an opportunity, God, just to even talk about this topic. God, I pray for those, maybe they're struggling in this area. God, maybe they've done things that they regret. God, maybe they um, are ashamed. Maybe they feel guilt. God, I pray that you would restore them this morning. God, I pray that um, you would make them new. God, I pray that ultimately that you would be God and that you would come in and help us to surrender to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.